Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. Man, finally, I've got Grant Wood in the house. It's about time. <laughs> so what's your it's technical title? Like, what would be your technical, official title? Technical title, uh, licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. Okay. And how many yeah. years you've been doing that? 22 years. Dude. And we don't, I don't feel this old. I don't either. Well, some days I do, but yeah, it's hard. I don't know where it all went. Yeah. I did a wedding last year and the, the, anytime the couple comes, I'm like, you know, how'd you hear about me? And she said, Oh, I heard about you from my mom. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's cool. Well, you're all she goes, you the- married my mom. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so she was like in her mom's belly when I married him. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was 25 years ago. This is crazy. You were there in utero. <laughs> Well, you're, you're all over the, you're all over the pages now. I I remember I look, man, there's a spread on Timmy (laughs) out there. I've, I've gotten lucky with all the, the awards and no reframe that. Yeah, that's true. Not lucky. lucky? I've worked hard to make all that happen. You're a badass wedding (laughs) official. It's something that, that, uh, I never aspired to. Like when I was a kid, I'm going to grow up one day and be a wedding officiant, but man, it sure worked out, you know? You're the Joe Rogan of Kansas City. Oh. I, I figured out. Well, the, that's a compliment. The, podcast, the, the uh, MMA. Yeah. Marry some people on the weekend. I mean, that's. I just hit me. I never thought of that until just now. I love that's it. exactly. That's exactly what you. Are. Well, I'll take that as a real big comp- compliment for sure. Well, it's yeah. good to have you back on the on the podcast. You've done some some of the earlier podcasts that we did. The four guys and the bottle of scotch. I think yeah. we called it, and. uh we we still we'd still do those on occasion so i'll get you in on the next one that'll be fun sounds good man. that'll be fun i'm ready for whatever yeah i'm in I'm so in. what's so what's been going on in your personal life if if you care to share anything like um your kids are off at college or yeah my, what the- well my kids my daughter my oldest daughter audrey uh turns 21 she turned 21 last weekend and she's actually here in casey this weekend to to uh, celebrate all weekend <laughs> but, I bet. but she is she's living in minneapolis and she's going to the aveda school for cosmetology so oh, hair, for, good for her hair makeup she's just always kind of had a knack for that and so she's learning how to do it and and then she works at she uh works at a french restaurant up there she bumped into taylor swift this year she are was, you serious i'm dead serious she was bussing a table and she bumps into someone she looked up to apologize and it's freaking taylor swift and she and she saw her and like smiled and then she went up and grabbed a bag of takeout food and headed out the door and she was in a she was at concert that night in Minneapolis. Wow. So that was that was a moment. That's cool. She came in and got her own takeout. She came in and got her own takeout. Taylor. You gotta love that. That's cool, actually. I'm like, I guess, you know, if she had her whole entourage in there picking up crepes or whatever. That'd be weird. That would be more noticeable. So I could see why she could just like pop in and pop yeah. out. Do you know, I, I met, uh, well, didn't really meet that's, but I was 10 feet away from Miley Cyrus. She was, she was over here at the intercontinental. I was walking out of the intercontinental. She was walking into the intercontinental. Well, I hope you bumped into her. Yeah. I wish I would have been, but I just looked at her. She looked at me and I remember thinking, "Uh, do I know you? (laughs) Have I seen you somewhere before (laughs) at T-Mobile or somewhere? (laughs) That's good. Yeah. They all stay at the Intercontinental. There's always, you know. It's beautiful. They remodeled it. All the, all the, in, maybe Billy Joel and uh, 
Stevie Nicks are there right now, maybe. Oh, that's right. They're you bump into either one of them though, they might get hurt. Right? That's they're, right. They're getting up there in years. <laughs> <laughs> you can bump into Miley and she'll just, you know, hit you back. Yeah. But uh, no, no, so that's my daughter's story. And then my son, uh, Liam, he is 17 and he has just enlisted for the Marines. So he is preparing that's to awesome. he's preparing to ship out in January and he's just, I mean, he's a gym rat. I think he was made for the Marines actually. Yeah. I think, I think he will do well there. That's so, awesome. So yeah, it's mixed emotions. Yeah. But I'm really proud of him for pursuing it. And he went into the army recruiter and kind of felt like, I think he kind of felt like it was a sort of a job core kind of situation. And then, so he went to the Marines next door and he's like, they're in there doing pull-ups and talking <laughs> shit to each other. So he's like, these are my, this is, these this are my is people. It. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing That's, against the army. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, cool. Those are my kids. I'm, yeah. yeah, the Resonate Relationship Clinic is going strong. I've got a great team of therapists there, and and uh, so the work goes on there. We launched a we launched a a, co- a coaching arm of the clinic uh, called Resonate Organizational Wellness, and I've got a couple colleagues that work with me on that, just helping businesses function better, just using you know some health principles and and personality principles and just kind of really some basic stuff but like if they can incorporate it into their work environment it just it makes things run smooth more smoothly so yeah that's been exciting um that's about it every that's once awesome. in a while i'll i'll get a music gig i'll play on the side but yeah. uh, not very often but that's always good therapy yeah so. That's awesome. That's it, man. That's, that's it cool. In a nutshell. So I, I'm excited to have you on because the marriage and family counseling uh, piece is something I'm very passionate about as a relationship coach. And really, my relationship coaching stems from my wedding officiating. I do a lot of premarital. And so I wanted to talk to you about how much of an impact um, does apologies uh how much of an impact does our early childhood impact of course our adulthood as well as our relationships it seems that i I actually just read a book i just finished a book it was a really good book it was all centered around this psychotherapist and all this drama and just it was a murder mystery but man there were some real deep profound uh lessons in this book just about how his particular childhood um his relationship with his father Mm. was affecting his marriage and i thought hmm this would be a fun topic to talk to grant about did he like want to murder his wife or something like did he turn him into a murderer he was a bad guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a big twist at the end and you're like so he's the killer you know (laughs) well i can see how i can see i mean that's the extreme end of it but it's a book (laughs) i can see how the mental health field could could turn people into that yeah but sir, sir, yeah, and he even said that people that get into, I mean, this is just, it's a book, it's a fiction, it's a sure, novel. Sure. But in the book, he talked about how he went into this because it wasn't just to help people. It was to find out his own issues. Like he went into the metal, mental health field for himself to discover himself as well as yeah. help people. And, and everyone who's listening right now, <laughs> that is what just about every therapist is doing. <laughs> and has done and is why they're doing it it doesn't have to it doesn't mean it's bad right it doesn't mean it's inappropriate it's just like you know uh 
that um, when you start to pay attention to your life, uh, to the to the stars and the scars in your life, it's fascinating. Yeah. And then, yeah, some, some people make a career out of it. Yeah. We're always working, you know, like it, the journey just never ends. Like there's always insight to be gained. We're always, I think we're always evolving. And so, so I, I found just the process of human development to be fascinating. And then just, but there is, there's, I can only look at it through my own lens and my own story. And and if I'm going to be a good therapist, I've got to apply it to my life and my story. Now I don't want to, the difference is a good, like a good mental health, you know, worker will not overlay their experience onto their clients. Like they'll be able to see their clients for what, what's happening in their story and not blend it all up together. But we're always, we're always talking out of our own head. Yeah. You know, I can only live behind my own eyes. Absolutely. But, uh, but the issue of family, you know, how we're raised, I mean, I start, I sat down, I was thinking about this topic and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like everything, like everything we know and learn begins with the family that we're raised in Yeah, the values, like everything we observe and then we begin to live, you know, and then what ha- I think what happens in life is life experiences show us what works or doesn't work or what hurts and what doesn't hurt. And then we kind of reevaluate and we evolve or we change. Sometimes we just stay stuck, yeah. you know, but it all starts with that early conditioning. I just like to think of it as conditioning. And it's everything from how you saw your parents communicate. What, what did they do with emotion? Was it all, was it only positive emotion? Was there no emotion? Was it just chaos? You know, your parents roles, how they decided who did what, who got things done, their ideas about men and women, um, the way they fought with each other, the way they loved each other, how they set boundaries. Like, it's just unending. Like how, what were their friendships? Like, how did they do community? You know, how did they uh, deal with finances? It's just like, we see all that by the time you're 17 or 18, you've had a healthy dose of all those things. And then you kind of go out into the world and say, well, let's see what I can figure out. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think, well, I'm my own man or I'm my own person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) you're the sum total of yeah. Your upbringing. Yeah. You are your own person with the conditioning that you've had, Yeah, you know, and it's going to change. Um, it's kind of a question of how much, when, and, and will I know, like, I look back now and I'm like, man, if I would have seen that one coming, like I, sh- <laughs> I should have seen that one coming a long time ago. How could my life have been different if I would have worked on this earlier, you yeah. know? And then there's also just grateful moments. Like, well, thank God that happened when it did. You know, but yeah. it's, it's kind of a, it is a wild ride. I mean, it, it just is. We, um, I think we make vows, uh, whether, I don't think we always know we're making a vow, but I think for instance, if, if you grew up in a family where your parents just fought and it was just toxic and ugly. And a lot of times, even, even as a young child, a person can say, I'm going to make sure that this, this thing that feels so terrible is not a part of my life. Yeah. And so then when that person's on their own, they have this really high value around peace and calm. And then when they get married, if they happen to get in a fight with their spouse, it signals like this is that thing that you vowed you wouldn't do. And they'll radically work to minimize it or stop it or avoid it, you know, but that's not always what you need to do. 
Sometimes we have to really engage conflict. So that person's going to have to evolve somehow. They don't want to get toxic like their parents, but they're going to be, especially if you're in a marriage, marriage is like a crucible that, yeah. that it's great but like marriage is gonna if you get married you're gonna change your life's gonna change yeah it's gonna ask you to change and and even the same marriage over a long time will be like two or three different marriages you know given the way people need to evolve and change and so so i think it's very like a lot of the therapy that i do like as a marriage and family therapist I want people to work forward. Like I, I, I'm, I'm encouraging them to make changes that give them peace and happiness as they go forward. But we really do have to take a pretty hard look at the past and what their conditioning was and what parts of it worked and what parts didn't. Yeah. And, and that gives them a context to kind of examine. Okay. How hard is it to change the conditioning? Meaning super hard, kind of hard, fairly easy if you're committed to it and and um speaking of there's my are we is our time that, already up? That, no, thank you all it was that's my wife hey here. guys <laughs> we'll pick this topic up next time. <laughs> yeah uh so yeah i mean i sometimes i feel we're doomed by our conditioning but is that I, I, my, the thought that came to my head was we are, <laughs> we are, and it, it's very important to embrace the reality of our conditioning. Yeah. Some of, some of it will feel like doom and, you know, change is always possible. Yeah. It's always possible to, to work and to change. We're never just locked into something, Yeah, but it's, but depending on so some changes actually happen like wonderfully and clearly and beautifully, you know, um, when, when all the stars align, you know, like we can have these really wonderful awakening moments in our lives that just pop. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, this was amazing. Had kind of like an enlightenment. Other changes are like, I'll be working on this the rest of my life. Yeah. And I, I'll never quite get there. Yeah. So, but it's very possible. And I wouldn't think of it as doom. I would just think of it as, you know, everyone's just got their set of stuff that they're going to be working on. Yeah. Awareness is really the thing that if there's no awareness of conditioning and how it's playing out, that's what gets hard. So that's my, that was my next question is yeah. how many people do you find or they're just unaware? Yeah. So sometimes, um, I can, maybe it's a, a, a not compassionate way to say it, but it's kind of, there are, there are people who don't get it. And then there are people that don't get that. They don't get it. Right. You know? And then, and that second person is, I mean, life is going to bring enough suffering. I think that, I think, I think we all eventually wake up. I really, yeah. I really believe that at I, some point this lifetime or the next, we're all going to wake up. But, but, um, if you're having waking up events happen in your life and you're becoming aware of wounds and patterns, like consider it a gift. Oh, just like this beautiful cat. <laughs> Feel free to put leg. her down. <laughs> what's, her, what's her name? Nova. No. Nova? She's like, guys, what about me? Nova grew up in a family where cats just scratch people. <laughs> and she has not learned no. to change. That's all right. I, my past life was full of cats. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll get the blood stain out. That's of right. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. That's for real. I, I see that she did get you. Don't cats have poison in them? Not too bad. Okay. I'll live. I so do have some disinfectant we'll put on it. So, so, so aware, we're talking about awareness, right? Is that it? Yeah. But so, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, some people that don't get it that I just did a Facebook post where I said, the problem is that you don't know, you're not aware that you're the problem. Often. Yeah. 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 And, and, and okay. Someone who, who grew up in an environment where there was always blame, you know, or criticism, uh, you have to defend yourself from. Uh, your default setting becomes defensiveness. That's yeah. all I know how to do. Yeah. I'm not really good at empathy or considering where you're coming from. I just instinctively default defend myself. Right. So that's an example of how that can happen. So I, what would be the steps if you are aware and you realize, wow, like I think there are some deep, profound conditionings that come from my family Kind of what's the next step once you're kind of aware of it mm -hmm. what what are some steps to to move past it and to actually either we what you know rewire your brain or to do new conditioning yeah to find health yeah i like there's four questions i call them foo questions foo mm -hmm. is family of origin and um i i think if anyone were to sit down and give themselves lots of time to really sit with these journal them with them um, you're gonna, you're gonna figure some things out. The four questions are, the first one is, uh, what did I get in my family of origin that I did not need? Uh, so what did I get that was hurting or wounding or stifling? Uh, and then the second one is what did I need in my family of origin that I didn't get enough of? <clears throat> and that could be from mom, dad, siblings, the whole picture, any of it. So what did I need that I didn't get? And then the third question is, what are the patterns or the conditioning that I want to work on undoing? What do I want to, what's the brush I want to clear out of my life? What patterns do, am I, am I tired of and done with what's creating stuckness? And the, and the fourth one is what do I want to keep? What do I want to continue to value that I got? Cause it wasn't all bad. Yeah. You know, uh, what do I want to hang on to? And if anyone kind of goes through that process and you do it real honestly, which is, that's the, I think that's the toughest thing in any therapy uh, or life is just being brutally honest with ourselves. <laughs> it's hard to get there sometimes. Man. We can have really good ideas and do really good work, but not in a, not in an honest reckoning. But if you really reckon with those questions, I think it'll provide a gateway for a person to start to create some change. Yeah. Yeah. And then they can start to notice the patterns they want to get rid of. Um, often though, uh, it doesn't come from just insight. I, I think most of the time uh, we change because of suffering that we encounter because we hit a wall or we lose someone or we lose something. Um, and then it wakes us up to like, okay, this, I can no longer believe that this is working for me. Yeah. That's typically when we change. Yeah. So, but if you're listening to a podcast today and you decide to change because you listen to a podcast, yeah, more, that's great. Yeah. yeah don't, don't, hit well, especially <laughs> like you said, if once you recognize that something's not working, yeah, you know, whether it's multiple failed relationships or just a toxic relationships or even a toxic marriage or, or something where you're aware that man, huh? Like 
I'm the common denominator in all of my problems. It could be, or, or I'm in a, or I'm innocent. Like you could be in a marriage, a painful marriage for 15 years and know that parts of it aren't working, but that doesn't mean you're ready to change yet. Yeah. It'll have to get to another layer, you know, before it, it wakes a person up. Yeah. So we can know we have problems. Um, but they're not always those gut level. Ooh, this is like an evolution. I'm like, I'm a, I can either work on change or, and then sometimes it's like, Oh, I'm about to go through like a birth process Yeah, where, um, that's midlife. Midlife crisis is a birth. That was process. where, that's what got me. Yeah. It was a deep, profound midlife crisis toppled with a change in my religious views uh-huh. and a divorce. And I'm hit with, I need to look in the mirror and not turn away quickly. I need to look deeply. Right. It's like, yeah. And I mean, there's a booger. That's right. right? <laughs> it's like everything you think, you know, and that you have told yourself is working or will no longer work. Right. So what are you going to do? That's midlife crisis. It's really a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's fantastic, but it, it, it is suffering. It's there's suffering involved yeah. with it. Yeah. And so, if it's not uncomfortable, it's probably not change. It was I, this, I, don't, I don't like that. Yeah. It was the most difficult and in all my life of, of loss, of death, of different things that have gone on in my life, probably the most difficult thing for me was that year mm-hmm. of of right out of the divorce, rediscovering who I was, religious changes, midlife cry, like all of it together that year. Whew. Well, you know, the, when you talk about spiritual change, I went through this too. Spirituality is life-giving. There's, well, there's, there's healthy spirituality. And then spirituality can also be a pattern that, that we learned when we were young or were conditioned to that tells us that, Hey, no matter what, like this is going to work out. Or if you just pray, this will work out, or this will work out when this person, you know, lives a more righteous life. It, it kind of gives us these rules. And then a lot of times in midlife, we find out, okay, those aren't true. This faith I learned doesn't, it, it doesn't work anymore. Right. It doesn't work that I do the things I'm supposed to do. And my life works out. You know, right. Larry Crabb wrote a great book about that. Um, what's the name of it? <laughs> it's called, uh, dang it. You're going to need to edit that. Yeah. Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb. Uh, what is it? What's the name of that book? Um, a new connecting, a new, a new way. Effective. I think, when I think, God's ways make no sense. No, it might be called new way. I'm looking at it that says when God's ways make no sense, <laughs> which is a agnostic, definitely a lot of that for me, just personally, my personal journey, I found that that wasn't working. Is it a newer book? No, it's an old one. Oh, it's an older one. We're still taping. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. The uh, pressure's off. Yeah, the pressure's off. I just typed in new yes. way and it the yeah. pressure's off. The pressure's Larry off. Larry Crab. Yeah, where it's like uh no longer just using religion or spirituality as a formula to get me what I want. Yeah. Because it doesn't work. So if you're in midlife crisis and you're like the thing that you anchored in your faith for so long kind of held you together, and then you realize, oh, even that is changing too. Like that's a real whirlwind. 
yeah. uh, relationships, my relationship with faith and, and spirituality is also going through this knot hole. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. You know, I, yeah, it was a lot, you know, it was a lot to go from evangelical pastor to now I just call myself a spiritual agnostic. You know, I still believe in God or some kind of a God or whatever. Um, but man, that was a huge transition. And it yeah. was just like you said, I just remember thinking this, this isn't working that mm -hmm. if you put God in the center, it'll all work out. This yeah. is not going. No, I encountered it like in both relationships and, you know, also having gone through a divorce and then going through changes in my spiritual life. It was almost like I, um, I kind of just realized that whatever I believed or whatever I thought was real or whatever I relied on has, has changed not because I've reimagined it or thought through it. It's like, I just sort of like, I feel like, well, that room that I was in, I can't go back to anymore. Right. It's more like I used to be able to think and see things and draw certain conclusion. And it's like, all I know is I can't get there anymore. Yeah. But I don't at all really know where I'm going. Right. And that's a terrifying feeling. Yeah. It's, uh, that's why it's, it's a crisis. It's, it's a real, it a is a real crisis. crisis. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's the, so any, any time and like, so, so these, those, several of those uh, knot holes or, or portals or wormholes happen in our lives. We go, we go through one in our teens. We go through one right around the age of 25 is a formative time of us kind of coming to some big conclusions about who we are and who we're not. And then we put that to work, you know, for about 20 years. And then midlife crisis helps us examine, okay, <laughs> now you've got to dream it all up again. And what now? And then I think we go through, oh, I think, I think we go through a change, you know, later in our life that prepares us for that fourth quarter and, and right yeah. into the sunset. I don't know what that one's like. Yeah. You know, but I, I think all your, your friends start to die. You know, that I heard someone it's say terrible. once that in the beginning of your life, you know, life brings things to you. And then the second half of life, life begins to take things from you. You know, Whoa. grandparents die, parents die. And, you know, there's this, you know, you don't, you can experience that when you're younger, of course, but are those typically, the only options? Yeah. I was like, can we, <laughs> you know, I, I still have the goal of living to 150. That, that is still my goal. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to, to, to expand my life. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, we have to. I yeah. Mean, that's just part of, part of being human. It's like, while I'm here, I want to, I just, I don't know how many times we go around. Yeah, no, I really, I used to, right? I yeah, used right. To know. I used to know there's just one life. <laughs> Isn't that funny but, to get to that place that it's funny because I used to know too, but I realized that I actually didn't really know. It was a faith thing, which is fine, right. but no one knows. No one knows. And I, I had to realize you cannot know, and it doesn't mean you don't have faith. Right. But my conditioning, right? My conditioning was more like if you don't know, you know, or if you doubt, well, that's fear. and There's no room for fear. God, it's like, whoa, yeah. To see how limiting that That's is, so very limiting. So, what is that? What would that that conditions a person to really ignore fear? Yeah, you know. So, a lot of people who have who grew up in pretty rigid spirituality have a tough time valuing their emotions. Yeah, because it's more of I have valued my actions and my my attitudes toward life and my and my values than like what I'm actually feeling. Yeah, that takes a long time to unravel. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually that, that person's faith as they knew it, something will cause it to not work the way it used to. Yeah. And they'll go through an evolution.
I guess there are probably some people that just hang on to the end, you know, and just keep that bubble around them. And for me, it was terrifying. It it was it for me, it was more (laughs) of a recognizing those that quote unquote had it all figured out religiously. They were no different than anyone else. Like they, they Mm -hmm. were, they were addicted. They were broke. They were sad. They were depressed. They were anxious. They were happy. They were getting divorced. They were like, there was like no difference between a quote unquote believer and a non-believer outside of maybe guilt and shame. (laughs) But I mean, for, for the most part, it was like, no, life happens to everybody. Everybody experiences life. Being a religious person doesn't exempt you from the human experience. Right. So and, that's but a, I thought that it did. I thought right. if, if I do what God wants me to do and I follow the rules and I, you know, I pray in the spirit and I give my money and da, da, da. If I do all this stuff, then life will work yeah. out for me. Yeah. I'll be a city on a hill. And while like not, not taking away from what that scripture is actually sure. talking about, it's like we did. So then that conditioning, right. It gets challenged when you see, you know, when you, when the third pastor you've had, you know, fails, it has some moral right, runs off with the organist, <laughs> right? You start to go, all right, I don't think this, I don't think this, I don't think these people, uh, are understanding what they're saying. This isn't, this does not add up. Yeah. So then I've got to change my framework and, yeah. it's, and it's wonderful because we, we get to see like what real authentic, authentic life is about. Yeah. It's just scary. Yeah. It's just scary. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful for certain things that I can't believe anymore that, you know, back in the day, I would have thought I was a heretic, but like, I just, I, but going through that faith crisis, I've just, I've just fallen more into a sense that God's love is way bigger than what I could have ever imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So once you are aware I have some conditioning that's off first step, recognizing it, then, you know, getting into some therapy where you can kind of work through that process. You mentioned something about a a podcast. I mean, listening to podcasts, reading books, those really have helped me reading books, podcasts, um, workshops, like all kinds of ways to equip ourselves. Yeah. You know, therapy is a good one too, but there's other ways. Yeah. Sometimes exercise, like some people have never, experience like exercise in their lives yeah, or or let themselves do it. And it opens up a whole nother world of understanding for them. Yeah. I often say, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this. It's not, maybe not impossible, but nearly impossible to have a healthy relationship. If you yourself aren't healthy, like, I mean, the key to having a healthy relationship with another human being, not that you're perfect, not that your partner's perfect, but that each of you, is doing the work and, and you're healthy ish, you know? Yeah. I think I, I will treat my partner the way I treat myself. Ooh, interesting. Okay. That's sort of what plays out. Yeah. So f- for a lot of men, again, there are, there are women that also that, that, um, don't know their emotional world, but, uh, but just say a man who's more emotion dismissive, he's lived his whole life on what he can figure out with his mind, you know, and his, and his good thinking, um, he, he, uh, will also not be tuned into his wife's hurt or pain or her confusion because he presses that down in himself. 
And so Interesting. His, his emotional intelligence isn't switched on very much. And he'll be often like unresponsive or unaware of what his wife's going through. Yeah. So she has to kind of like really turn up the volume for him to get it. You yeah. know, and even then he'll try to just fix something. Yeah. He'll, what do I need to do? Or he'll do what men love to do and, and well-meaning. He'll try to, he'll try to soothe her emotions by explaining to her why she shouldn't feel that way. Right. And that never goes well. Right. That's, <laughs> that's the worst. I feel this way. You shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but it's not that. Yeah. Don't you see, don't you get it? No. What, it, what would be one of the leading causes of why it's one of the things that I'm sure you deal with extensively. I deal with it even in my coaching men with wandering eyes, porn, illicit sexual stuff. Like what is, what is up with, and maybe women too, obviously these men are with women, but what is leading men down this path? I just had some clients that I dealt with recently that they're going through this, you know, he, she found him on, had some OnlyFans accounts mm -hmm. and, you know, was, it's like, what is it with guys that, that are doing that? It's dopamine. It's, it is, I mean, it's, it's a lot of things, but there is such a powerful chemical explosion going on in the brain. Um, and it's rooted in the, how wonderful human intimacy is like yeah. it's rooted in this really good thing. You know, porn is just a, it's a, um, it's a cheap substitute for real intimacy, right? but it lights up the brain like a firework. And so, um, when that's a regular practice, you know, it, it, the brain just asks for that more and more. And it's not a, it's not true intimacy, which involves emotion, the sharing of like looking into someone's eyes. That's real. Yeah. You know, um, it's just an exchange for intimacy and then it creates, it creates a pretty addictive process. So it's like a cheap drug. Yeah. It's a cheap, it's a, it's a powerful cheap drug and it's everywhere. Yeah. It's instantly available. Yeah. It's not like in the old days when you walk to the <laughs> back in our days, you had to go buy a magazine in Grandview, <laughs> the newsstand, man, there was one, there was one newspaper store. Even imagine that a newspaper yeah. store. That's where you had to go. Yeah. And usually there was one dude that just lurk around the trash bin out back and that's how that's how you that in the 80s that's usually when you first saw it was some magazine a guy brought his dad had it's it's in it's everywhere yeah it's on it's instantly accessible and so so men have to really most men who are really working on that not being a way that they cope have had some kind of upheaval or some kind of like you know hit the wall moment where their relationship, their sex life dies, you know, or their partner feels betrayed, you know, for them to reorganize it. And there's lots of different views on pornography, sure. you know, again, depending on how we're conditioned, right? Yeah. It's either, Hey, it's a normal thing that guys do, or it's like, it's the worst thing a guy can do. Yeah. The bottom line is like, I think each person has to really honest, there's that word, honestly, you got to honestly consider, is this something that makes my life better? Yeah. Is this a benefit? Does yeah. this, does this take energy from me or does it give me energy? I mean, most guys after they've jacked off are not lying. there feeling like I'm so energized. <laughs> right. Like, I'm feel, sleepy. I feel a mixture of sleepy and shame. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I just want to go to sleep. So that's not, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's powerful. And it's another, 
it's kind of another if you're in a partnered relationship it's just a it's a very one dimensional you know dynamic that's happening it's yeah basically me in in a relationship with my brain juices yeah you know and it doesn't lend itself well to to others so and then it it, it gets multi-layered right if i'm if i'm regularly feeling a mixture of like shame and discouragement about a habit that I know is unhealthy, but I'm not doing anything about it. Like, how am I gonna like bring life and light to my, my partner? Right. right? I'm going to treat her the way I'm treating myself. I'm not yeah. going to be creative in that relationship or, or, you know, nurturing it. I'm going to be kind of, it's going to be kind of status quo. Yeah. So that, that principle of like, ooh, like, yeah, if I'm not healthy and flowing and, and, living from my heart and my spine, you know, then I'm not going to be bringing, you know, that energy to my partner Yeah. and masculinity. I really like the teachings of John Wineland, you know, just how universal masculinity is, it brings, it's designed to bring and to give and to, to, um, to initiate, to penetrate. And if that's dumbed down with dopamine all the time, yeah, you know, the man's not bringing it in the relationship. Right. And a, and a woman will just, she'll just have to figure out well, what am I going to do? I was just going to say, so what would be the, the count? So, you know, if men struggle with the, the porn piece, what would women struggle with? What's their vice Man, that, that you've seen maybe in your practice that. Mm. That's a really good question. We should get a woman in here. Yeah. I mean, women will, will. Look, I don't want to put men and women in a cage because, again, this comes back to conditioning. I think what each person looks for that fills their soul is going to be different in some ways, dependent on like how they were brought up and what they value. So it's like the my 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 conditioned answer. I think what I think about women is is they'll they will they'll throw their whole hand down to to have companionship, to yeah. have presence, to have like to be in community, to, um, to feel close. Um, women want to be poured into, they want to feel the energy of another person, like filling their mind or their soul. And so relationally, I think they tend to look more towards relationship than just sensation. Right. Men tend to go more towards sensation, but there are, there are opposites. Sure. There's men who crave, social connection there's women who are sensory sensual it's it's all over the map but that's the best i can do in terms of kind of universally you know women will uh look for that companionship and want to find like where is my safe attachment now that, that opens up the issue of attachment every human being no matter what their gender no matter what their their race all over like any age we're all at our core asking ourselves like who is with me yeah. Who's, gonna, who's got my back? Who will take care of me? Who knows me? Who sees me? That's going on all the time with everybody. Yeah. But I think women are better at acknowledging that and cultivating that. Yeah. And I know that, that uh, people in marriage, men or women, that's interesting that you say that because that's part of what they're struggling with is they don't feel that from their partner. Right. Therefore, it, it causes them to grapple for other things or some addiction, addictive behavior to do that. Right. Attachment. Um, so if you think about a tree, right? 
So just picture like a big tree. And, and if you look at the leaves and the branches of that tree, I like to think of that as that's like a person's behaviors. That's yeah. what they do. That's what's moving around. It's what they create. It's how they express themselves in the world. And then if you go down to the trunk of the tree, the trunk really is like their personality. It's how they're wired. It's what drives them. Um, it's those things like, you know, in, introvert, extrovert, you know, peacemaker, kind of you know, like a life, the Enneagram, those nine types, yeah. right? That's kind of the tree trunk. Um, and it doesn't change as much as the leaves and the branches. It's pretty, pretty firm. Yeah. It's pretty solid. And if you go to the roots under the ground, that's attachment. The roots, a tree's roots are basically its level of fear about whether it's going to be loved or not. How, how secure do I feel in relationship? Yeah. And if those roots are shallow, then that whole tree can be uprooted when things don't go well. If someone's got deep, secure attachment roots, if they know who their people are, who their person is, who's holding on to them, it's, it's solid. Yeah. You can shake the tree pretty hard and it won't fall because it's at least got, it's got its tap root down in the ground. Yeah. So that's how I kind of think about attachment. Yeah. It's a picture I, I have in my mind. And there are the attachment styles. How many attachment styles are there? Well, there's arguments about that, but I, I think of four, like traditionally there's yeah. four attachment styles. And, um, the way I remember them is I think about peanuts characters. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when we say attachment styles, what, what we're, is how we attach to other people. Right. It's, it's, it is conditioned from when we are born, you know, those, those early, early. So it's nature. It's nature. Okay. It is powerfully nature. And, um, from the very early age, we learn if we're safe in the world or not. And as we, as we grow, we learn more about what has to happen for me to feel cared for? You know, will I be, will I be on my own? You know, how much can I depend versus how much do I have to create for myself? And so that's, that's formed pretty early on in childhood. And so, so we all, we're never just purely one of these uh, attachment styles. We're always a hybrid of yeah. different ones, but if we break them out, there's, we could start with like secure attachment. You know, secure. That's the healthy one. Healthy. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's our goal. <laughs> that's our goal. That's what we're working on. That's what we'll always be working on. But that's, that's a person who generally knows, like, I know that no matter what happens that I'm cared for, I have, I have a person or people that are loving me and that are caring. That's why when you go to the doctor, you do that initial interview. They're like, do you have, do you have people that care about you? Yeah. They'll ask you that question. Isn't that interesting. And when they ask me that, I'm, I'm able to say yes, but I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I did it? It's terrifying. That right? would be terrifying. So, so that's a huge, that's secure attachment. I know that I'm cared for. I know someone's got my back. Someone sees me and knows me. Um, and, and so like peanuts characters, that's, that would be to me, like that'd be peppermint Patty, right? Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Like she's just always positive. She's never really met an enemy. She, she just assumes the best about people. She's just happy to be there. Right? Yeah. That's kind of the secure attachment. And then if we talk about avoidant attachment, so this is someone who their conditioning has taught them that more often than not, um, I cannot trust that people will be there for me. So I'll withdraw to protect myself from that pain. Yeah. So these are kind of your, um, these are people who in relationship will be, uh, they'll kind of, they'll, you'll experience them as mysterious, uh, quiet sort of, uh, 
sometimes we call them deep when actually they're they're distant. Um, few words, just withdrawn, especially in conflict, they'll, they'll withdraw. Yeah. Uh, this would be like Schroeder. You know, Schroeder yeah. was pretty much like, just give me my piano and leave me alone. Right. I don't need anyone or anybody. I just need my music. So, and sometimes they are, they're, they're brilliant people because they, yeah. they will attach to certain activities or streams of thought or skills. And so they, they're brilliant people, but they are very uncomfortable in contact with others. So, and then anxious attachment is someone who will show up and be there, but they're, they're fearful um, and on edge and they'll, they will struggle to deepen in relationship. So they've probably had some inconsistencies in their life that teach them that, um, uh, you know, like I could lose this or it could not work out. So they kind of, I, I would, maybe the best way to describe it is these are people who brace themselves in relationship uh, on a good day. They, they can be all there. They can yeah. be secure, but it can kind of change and they can, they can quickly go into anxiety and they need a lot of reassurance. They need to be, you know, they, they need to be, um, supported in certain ways or they start to feel anxious and fearful. Yeah. And then the last one, Oh, that, that, uh, peanuts care. That'd be Linus, right? Okay. Linus is kind of like, as long as I got my blanket, I'm good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so don't take my blanket away. And then the last one is a tricky one. I call it disorganized attachment. Um, other people would call it anxious avoidant, but I like the word disorganized. This is, this is a person who, um, often because of trauma in their life, they desperately want love and connection and they also like desperately don't believe they're going they're going to get it so they will have a push pull type feeling they'll lean in and like one moment uh you may feel like you you are intimately close to them and there's this amazing vibe and then suddenly you'll feel that person shift and it'll almost be like they never knew you they'll push away hard they may they may just kind of go silent and detach, or they may kind of attack and move away. Interesting. Um, this is Lucy. This is this is Lucy with the football with Charlie Brown. Yeah. Like, I want to engage in this with you. I'm holding the ball. Come kick it. Play this game with me. And then she then immediately does something that hijacks the whole thing. She pulls the ball away, creating pain, you know. And uh, so, so this one. If you're in that kind of relationship pattern, it's it's really hard work. Yeah, it's exhausting. And um, but I do I do think I don't think that attachment styles. Um, I would just say it in my experience, I think a person's always going to be working on their attachment style. Yeah, I uh, there are times where I think it could it can change. Like and maybe yeah. shift from one quadrant to another, like, and especially depending on maybe who you're in relationship with. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Like, um, for instance, like that disorganized, like with enough sustained attentiveness and nurturance, that person could begin to trust that there's love for me. But they may only be able to do it with like one person in their lives, yeah. and it might take a really long time. Yeah. You know. So I think change with attachment is long. Um, and, but like the good news is awareness about your attachment style helps a lot. Yeah. You know, otherwise you'll, you'll be saying, I don't know why my relationships always fail. 
Right. If you look at your attachment style, you'll probably figure it out. Yeah. You'll probably see the common thread. Yeah. Like right when things get to a point of commitment, I anxiously withdraw. Yeah. Because, you know, like, or like my parents' marriage was a total shit show. And like, I, I want this person, but I f- really fear what marriage would be. Yeah. And so that's where all that old stuff can kick in. So, um, yeah, like there's a ton about attachment styles for anyone that wants to study it and dive in and read about it. Yeah. So I, what I like to do is kind of put those on a, on a quadrant. So, you know, secure, anxious, disorganized, avoidant, and then you can kind of plot yourself on it. There are, there are attachment style tests that'll kind of plot you on a grid. Yeah. You know, you can kind of see where you might fall. And then it's just a matter of be compassionate with yourself, recognize like your attachment styles that way because of a lot of years of formation. Yeah. It does not, it does not flip, but you know, begin to like see it and then make some changes. Um, that lowering anxiety. we would all do good to do whatever we can to lower as much anxiety as we can in our lives. Yeah. You know, um, anxiety is fear. Fear is the opposite of love. Right? Yeah. Fear is what um, is typically um, getting into our fan blades. Yeah. In, you know, in life when we feel stuck or when we feel um, confused or discouraged. Yeah. So, but it's, it's fascinating. It is. And, and when I, especially when I think about in relationship with, with other people, like a committed partnership or a marriage, who I I've said this, and I'm curious what you think on this, if this is, if I'm saying this right or believing, right. I've, I used to think that love was the, the most important. I think love's super important, but I think to have a long lasting, healthy relationship to me, compatibility is very important and clearly it has to be someone that you love you're attracted to you know you're willing to commit to that you have chemistry clearly but those things i find those things like why am i attracted to certain people and not other people like you know what i mean it's like what is that magic that's hard to that's hard to grab it's hard to hold and to to you know give a description of mm-hmm. But compatibility, I feel like we can get a chart out. <laughs> we can, yeah. you know, list. I like these things. I like this. I'm not religious. You're not religious. I like to eat clean. You like to eat clean. I like to be outside rather than inside. You like to be outside. Rather. I mean, it's like those things to me seem a little bit more definable. Yeah. Whereas chemistry. Chemistry. I, I mean, yeah, you get like, tickles in your tummy. Right. It's like, a relationship really pops. Like it really, it really dials in when you have both. Yeah. The compatibility and with the chemistry is hard to beat. Yeah. You can have chemistry without compatibility. And that's a smoking hot relationship. Often that in, won't last in long. In the beginning, they can flame out because <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Oh, I didn't know that you work for the government. Right. Whatever it is. Right. right. So, and then, yeah, you can have compatibility. And I see a lot of couples on paper. It's like, oh, like they're, they're perfect for each other. Yeah. But it's, there's no fire. There's no, there's not that spark yeah. you know, that's in it. And compatibility when it's high, like a couple will work hard for a long time because it looked, because again, on paper, this should work. Right. And people can work on those for a long time. They can have a common vision and a dream about each other, but it, it'll, it'll suffer if that spark doesn't show up. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and again, though conditioning, so our, our early patterns in life and our family patterns have a lot to do with that. Like I've seen that. Um, and this is, this is like qualitative research or subjective, but we tend to be attracted to someone either because they, they like mirror what we grew up with. They resemble it or because they're the opposite of it. Yeah. So if I had a, if I had a mother who was anxious, withdrawn, not expressive, more, uh, cold, then most likely in those situations, a man's, a, he's attracted to a woman that's got spirit and fire and, and has this expressiveness in her. Yeah. Like we're sort of attracted to what we didn't get. So, yeah. but there's other, some, sometimes it's the other way where it's like, if we grew up pretty secure, we're, we're at least initially trying to recreate that. Yeah. You know, we'll try to like a woman will, will want the kind of mate who like her father, like took care of her, like made things work, could fix things. Like if they had a dad like that, like they're going to be attracted to the good parts of that. Yeah. But if he was emotionally withdrawn, you know, she's going to look for a man who's got a spark. Yeah. She's, she's going to look for some passion in there. Yeah. So, so a, you could do the work of sit down and you could sort of map out how did I, what was my experience of my dad who was like the most important man in my life. And then my mother, the most important woman in my life. And they ask like, how, how has that shaped what I've been attracted to? Yeah. And so, and, and what we typically do is we flip flop. Like if, if you were in a relationship that flamed out quick because you know, that chemistry was there, but no substance typically, then the next time around we'll go for like substance. all substance. <laughs> yeah. So by the time we're done, we will have sort of tried everything. I yeah. think that's, that's the, that's the exciting part of dating is like, I can, I can do it different this time. I have different insights or I'm learning something about myself. It's tougher on marriage. Marriage, um, marriage requires people to evolve and change and, and then stay together. And there's just stages where the marriage has about four big knot holes in it. That, yeah. What are those? Um, well, it's kind of 10 to 12 year, um, benchmarks where the marriage kind of says, whatever you've done to this point, you can celebrate. It's been good. And there's something that's going to have to fundamentally change if you want to get the next 12 years. Yeah. So a couple can start out with this common vision together. We're going to live here and have a dog and this, and they, they like create this life together. And then seven to 10 years, it's like, dude, like, I don't think you're the person that I thought I was marrying. Like there's right. some, there's some trouble here. And so they have to kind of dig in and, and reckon with things they didn't know about each other. And then, you know, in another, in another 10 to 12 years, typically that's when a couple is in the throes of like raising a family and building career. And there it's more of a struggle of like, are we a team? Like, are we able to function together and maintain our health and like make this work when that stage ends the 20 year gate? That's the, I call that one, the, the wood chipper, because it's, it's a, very, a lot of divorces happen in lots that. of divorce, 20 years and above. John Gottman, even the like the best marital researcher we know, you know, says that anyone that's been married for 20 years in some ways is a master of marriage for having made it that long. Because that's a lot of life. But yeah. a marriage at 20 years says no matter what good has been there, um, 
you're you're aware of the good you've created, but you're also painfully aware of what you've never been able to change. Wow. And so, and then it's kind of like, can we do another 20 years if that doesn't change? Yeah. And typically the answer is no. no. And then each person at that point has to be able to look at themselves and reckon with what have I not changed or how, how have I created this pattern we're in that is, that is stuck in so many ways. And they have to radically change um, and to find life for themselves. And then that couple hopes that on the other end of that change, they still want to be together. Right. Like it's a real, it's like a three-way dance not three-way that never works by the way <laughs> no works. it does not couples will try that in sounds midlife. fun but no no midlife crisis causes that and it, it never goes well it's just my own feedback but they the each individual and the marriage has got to really change yeah and um so it's kind of sink or swim after that i think the that final that final stage is a matter of um having the reassurance that that person's going to care for you and you're going to care yeah. for them till the end. Yeah. I haven't been through that stage yet. So I yeah. Don't know. Well, I resonate with, with that in my previous marriage, it was that year 20 that everything you just said, I just so relate to that. And so for the next five years, it was an attempt to try to make it work and to try to, you know, you try so hard for a lot of reasons. One, the religious reasons, you know, you think it's the worst thing ever. Right. We have to make it work. Yeah. You have to make it work. Yeah. Divorce isn't an option. God hates divorce. And, but for that, for those five years, uh, I mean, it essentially ended at, at 24, but technically we were technically still married until the 25th, but it was, it was over by that time. But man, those five years was, it was just, yeah, it was do or die. And it just, it just died. Yeah, you, you know. did everything you could do and it still dies. Yeah. That's the tough part. And that's when that's why there's often a faith change too, because it's like, well, this was supposed to work. Yeah. You know, I was I'm supposed to be a different husband. And, I, and she why couldn't she be a different wife? And it's just there's a lot of grief there. Yeah. And so yeah, it's a it's a knot hole for a lot of I think most of the couples I see in therapy are at that twenty year mark. You know, I was just going to ask, um, like, what, what's the common thing that you see in here? I mean, I, I know it's just your particular practice, right, but this right. is what you've been doing for a living for a long time. And you know, a lot of therapists, what seems to be like the big thing that it, people are struggling with in relationships? Well, the overall big thing is like, it's what happens when we don't feel securely attached. Like, yeah. If, if you don't feel securely attached to your partner, if they're not a, if they're not a safe Harbor for you mm. and you can't fix that, your marriage won't work. Yeah. Like it, it's a linchpin. Deal. You're fighting a losing battle. It's just right. like, yeah. If I look at my partner and I see them as dangerous to me or uh, disconnected from me and it, and it doesn't repair that marriage will not last. Yeah. So that's deep, like that's deep down in the roots that happens for lots of reasons. Yeah. The, the big four in marriage are addiction um, that goes unhealed, um, chronic mental illness that is a struggle even when a person is treating it, um, infidelity. And then the last one is like chronic low self-esteem. So one or where one or both partners just cannot get a sense 
any working healthy sense of who they are yeah. or the, or that this picture they have of who they are is just damaged and broken. Yeah. Once a person hits the mat and can't get up from that, they really can't flow. There's no, they're not able to really love or receive love. So they just crash. And often it's paired with addiction. Yeah. But yeah, those, those are the big four that, that are the marriage wreckers. Yeah. Okay. And this, this brings me to, because I have a big, a big audience of singles that, you know, I have like 8,000 in the Facebook group now. Amazing. Yeah. That's and uh, a lot of them listen to the podcast. And so I'm thinking, and the majority are probably divorced or ha have gone through a breakup from a long committed relationship. So let's say someone just goes through a divorce. What would be your advice are the next steps for them to get themselves in a place where they would be ready for another relationship? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's a big topic, but well, the first thing that comes to my mind is grief. Um, there has to be a felt sense of grief. Like we have to allow the grief of what just happened to wash over us. Yeah. A lot in the culture tells us to like, try to get up, move on. Your, some of your best friends will say, you need to move on. This is great for you. Right. And, and some of that might be true, but you're finally free. Right. Right. Go. <laughs> We've been telling you for years. Right? So we're going out this weekend, but, but grief always has to take its, its pound of flesh. And so there's a lot of value in feeling that grief and the grief is this mixture, right. Of anger, there's denial in it. There's this, there's this whole period of like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, this self, this brutal self-examination. Sometimes there's shame. And so you have to feel all that yeah. because the only way to heal from it is to feel it and just be in that shit for a while. Hopefully you have people who can pick you up in it and can walk through it with you. But when it's a relationship, it's even a, I'm not going to say it's harder than death, it's just different. Yeah. The grief of death, it, there's a, there's a finality and a clarity to it. That's brutal, but it's, but someone where there's a breakup or divorce, like that relationship, that, that person's not gone, but the loving part of the relationship is gone. And that's really a, a mind bender, soul bender. So there's, there needs to be a careful period of like allowing yourself to feel almost, you know, one of the, therapists that I value so much said we have to welcome that grief and that pain into our life and, and feel it fully. Yeah. And as that process goes on, um, cause grief's like a backpack, right? It's like a backpack that you never take off your whole life, but the longer you wear it, the lighter you feel it, yeah. but it's never just gone. Right. So we can all think back to like, the, the girl that broke up with us in junior high and absolutely still feel the sting. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, then I think it, it kind of transitions into this, um, question of, okay, who, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Cause the, cause a relationship, we're always being conditioned and a relationship kind of conditions us. Um, we kind of, we will powerfully believe, who that person that we loved or that loved us thought who we are, yeah. you know? So it's like that old phrase, I, I am what other people think I am. So detaching from that means, okay, I can take the good that was there, but whatever was negative or whatever, whatever I was wounded by that person or not seen by that person. Like I'm the first person who is responsible to love me now and to be in a loving relationship with myself 
and to repair those wounds. Yeah. And so sometimes that's a matter of realizing that, oh my gosh, like I wasn't an asshole. Yeah. Like that was that person's stuff. Like yeah. That was their conditioning working out on me. And other times it's like, yeah, I was an asshole. Yeah. And here's why. And here's why I was doing it. And here's how I'm going to quit. Yeah. You know, so it's that self ownership and that remembering yourself. The, the remember is the opposite of dismember. So you re, you have to remember yourself. You have to wake up to yourself and care for yourself. And that's a good time to, you know, exercise is so powerful because it reminds you that you're in control of your body. Like it brings just good chemicals back into your body. Therapy is good. Friendships are good. And so there's, there's a healing stage there that I think is really necessary. And I, I think a good part of that too is just at some point sitting down and having a running journal entry of like, what do I learn from that last relationship? What is, what is my divorce taught me about myself? Yeah. You know? And, and so then that's, that's really good work. That's yeah. about as good as we can do. And if we're doing that work, honestly, and you know, some people can kind of, it's always different, right? Like the length of time it takes one person to, to heal and be ready to, to connect again, uh, is, is different from what another person might. Right. And I, I'm not like those therapists that say, well, okay, if your relationship was 10 years long, then you take that divided by two. And that's how many years you have to wait to date somebody. <laughs> the ink no. wasn't dry on my divorce papers and I was already <laughs> hitting the, <laughs> right? so it's different. Yeah. It's different for everyone. Yeah. And sometimes that is, that is the value of a really true friend or a therapist who can call you on some of your blind spots. Yeah. You know? But even, like, even those, uh, even a rebound, like someone asked me, are you just in a rebound relationship? I'm like, well, if I am, it feels pretty good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, a rebound in basketball is a really good thing. That's right. But to have people that can check you like a, th a therapist can neutrally objectively, uh, you know, ask you questions that a good friend might miss, you know, yeah. or may not. But then good friends can go places with you that sometimes a therapist doesn't know about. Right. So I think the combination of those is always good, you know, and then, and then, yeah, like move out when you're ready. I, uh, you know, after my divorce, I had a, I had a plan to be alone for a long time. It didn't work out. Yeah. I was just like someone came into my life and I could not have, I couldn't have ignored it if I had wanted to. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I see a lot of others like intentionally have to kind of shut things down and kind of yeah. be like, I need, I need a good long season of singleness. Yeah. You know, so it's really, it really is different for everyone. Yeah. I think though, that if grief, the only way to really, the risk is if you don't allow yourself to grieve, if you stuff that emotion down and just start to medicate the pain, you know, that's going to be, that's really terrible. That's yeah, that that's what will really get you hurt. Yeah. You know, and you'll carry the same insecurities right into the next relationship and you'll, you'll be repeating a pattern, you know? So I was one of the things that I was so intentional about for me was to make sure everything that I engaged in wouldn't create more damage. Meaning right. I, I quit drinking for seven months. I didn't buy a TV uh -huh. yet. You know, I was like, I, I just didn't want anything to become a, a band aid or a mask or 
something I could hide behind or something to numb the pain. You know, I just wanted, I, I didn't do excessively going out and, uh, you know, I just, I was trying now I did, you know, have female friends, casual, casual friends. Right. But other than that, I just, tr I turned into my friends. Uh, you know, I'm not even a, a Christian, but I was going to church, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I just really tried to turn into community, doing things that filled me up, doing things that, that were good for me, you know, going to the gym and engaging in hobbies. And, you know, I was just really trying to turn into myself and, and what do I like? Who am I? You know, I don't even, you know, I don't even know what's who I am anymore. Right. So really trying to discover the, the person that I really was or am, um, without any thing to distract. Yeah. And yeah, I was really like, intentional about like that. A detox, you know, like having a detox with intentionality, not just quitting things for, to the sake of quitting, but having some purpose. Like I just need to cleanse. Yeah. A lot of relationships. end. I think most of them, when there's an end, there's a natural question of like, mm, I don't, really know who I am. I think that just happens. Yeah. When you, when you get pulled apart from someone, kind of a piece of you tends to go with them and it's a reorientation. Uh, one of the things I remember doing was asking some of the people I trust the most, like no bullshit. Like, who do you think I am? Yeah. How do you see me? You know, like what, what might I do or put out that isn't that you see as not healthy, like a true friend could yeah. give you that feedback. Yeah. You, know, you always get to have the final say and that's where you just pray that you're attached to friends that aren't toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> just drill the hole deeper. But like, no, most of the time a good friend will be like, dude, like, like, um, you know, we, we've known for a long time that you've been suffering, yeah. you know, like you've been dead inside, you've been numb, you've been distant. Yeah. You know? Isn't that fun? Wild how friends will come out of the woodwork Yeah. post divorce and say, yeah, you know, I, I did it, you know, and they had certain thoughts and you're like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had a guy who was telling his family about his divorce and, um, was just anticipating they'd just be these tears and just sweeping and shock, you know? And he's like, they like, didn't do anything. They were just like, yeah, we know. Right. We've known for a long time. This is going to happen. He's like, really? So <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. What do you want to drink? Man? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think grief, understanding the nature of grief, allowing the gift of grief to happen. And it doesn't know, it does not feel like a gift. It's a, it's a burden. It's, it's hard. Um, and then a reorientation that begins with who am I? And then kind of translates into, okay, what do I want? And when am, when am I ready? Yeah. For that? So and I, another thing I'm, and I'm, these are questions for me because it's things I'm learning about how to coach better as a relationship coach. So I'm curious also, so when I am meeting with singles, I'll say, listen, you know, get a journal, uh, after you go on, you know, when you get to the place where you want to start dating journal after every date, yeah. you know, and, and journal what you liked, what you didn't like, what you thought went well, what didn't go well, if you were triggered, how were you triggered? Why were you triggered? Was that them or was that you? Or what do you think about mm -hmm. that kind of a. Absolutely. And to add to that, like, what did you feel, you know, journal, like what, what emotion you know, um, did I connect with you could, if you really wanted to do some deep work, you could be like, okay, considering like in my conditioning, like, you know, um, 
how does this person strike a chord in me? Yeah. You know, you know, when, when I stack it up next to my wounds, my dreams, you know, what, what resonates and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Journaling is so good. It's, it's made fun of a lot, Yeah, but it is a, it's a whole brain activity that, um, provides a lot of insight. Yeah. I've found it extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the content of like, what happened, what did I, what do I think about this person? And then what, what, what was I feeling in my gut? Yeah. Did I feel warmth? Did I feel like I had to, was I having to nurture this person? You know, was I feeling anxiety either in myself or coming out of this person? You know, so you think like fear, happiness, was this person warm or cold? Right. That feels safe. That's a good or yeah. Threatened. What temperature was this person? Yeah. You know, and why? Um, and then, so yeah, in, intuitively when that date's over, it's like, did I, did I feel like, you know, that was like a, if I, you can even do this thing where you ask your body and soul, mm-hmm. like body and soul, like, did that person give to you or, or did they take something away and just kind of listen? Yeah. You'll hear it. You'll hear it down in your guts. Yes. And no, you don't always know right from the start. Well, that's the thing, right? It's it. But those impressions are important. Right. The the question I get a lot is how can I know, you know, because they're like, well, I thought, I thought this one was the one and then it, yeah. And I'm like, you know, how do you know? I mean, all I know is that how does it make you feel? You know, like when I think about my relationship with my wife, Jessica, just after every date, I felt great. And I wanted to go on another one. Like she just, yeah. I felt good I around her. Amazing. I felt amazing. I felt there was no uneasiness. There was no triggering. There was no, you know, there was, just, and I had dated a lot. I dated a lot. And at the first sight of something, I was just like, I was cutthroat. I was like, nope, nope. Like they'd be real jealous. I'm like, nope. They or whatever. I'm not that I was perfect in all this. I'm just saying it was like, if I saw something that I'm like, Nope, like I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, just Nope. Gave him the nope card. Yeah. I was just like, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. And well, with, at a certain age too, like in your fifties, forties and fifties, and if you've been married, that person has a pretty big catalog of what they know works and what doesn't. Yeah. Whereas if you're in your twenties, there's this bigger expand, there's, there's more openness, like in terms of what, what I could try, or oh, this is yeah. new, but more like later in life, older singles are like, yeah, there's deal breakers just waiting to be checked off. Yeah. And all it takes is one of them. Right. And you can sometimes hit one in the first date. Yep. It's done. Yep. It's over. Yeah. They just ordered seven beers while we were sitting here. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And that, that happened to me. I'm like, nope. <laughs> the fact that she could pound seven beers and still walk (laughs) that's a red flag (laughs) i had a a woman tell me this week we were talking about the dating apps and just how tough they are and she's like you know what it is she goes she goes uh it's a bunch of guys that are bald and they're holding a damn fish (laughs) and they think that that's what's going to turn my crank (laughs) i hear the same thing i have women that go why is he wearing a baseball hat holding up a fish i'm an outdoorsman 
I can build you a camp. I, I remember when I was on the online, at, which I did not meet Jessica online. I met her in person. Thank uh, God. But yeah. I remember one, I was swiping through and this woman, she was holding up deer antlers. She had just fucking killed a deer. Wow. And I felt sorry for that deer. And I thought, woman, there's no way. There's no way. But then, but somewhere out there, there's a guy right now. Absolutely. I would totally, I would totally hit that. Yeah. That's yeah. what's so cool, you right? Get past the antlers. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of it, right? That I have worked with, I'm sure you have too. I've worked with people that I thought as a matchmaker, I'm like, I, I can't help this yeah. person. Like there's yeah. no match for this person. Yeah. Yeah. And sure as the world, man, they end up finding someone and you're just like, wow, like, there is a God. That's right. There is a God that, that cares. But I truly do believe that there really is a match for everybody, mm -hmm. but man. Okay. So this is a question that I do get a lot. Someone's single and they're in their forties, even fifties, and they just have never found the one. That makes me suspicious. Now, it doesn't make me suspicious if they've been traveling the world or their career was number one and they're very aware of that. And they're like, you know what? I was never really ready for it. Now I am. That's that's a different story. But when they've been sincerely trying for 50 years, I'm thinking to myself, what is wrong here? Like, what, what could it be that after 50 years of trying, like, are they expecting too much? They're looking for a 10 when they should be looking for a five. You know, in my experience, that that'd be the one I would go with. Yeah. That, like, again, I, I honestly think there's every reason under the sun. I, I, I do think that it's like in the, in the math of relationships, it's possible for a person to just not find a sustained chemistry and, and compatible connection that they that they can last in yeah like that can happen but what i will see a lot and again I, I can speak more to men i probably work work more with men who are in that situation and what i think happens with them is it's almost like real life porn in other words the the nre the new relationship energy is what their brain gets addicted to uh -huh. so that initial spark that initial chemistry, they, they don't have the equipment or the desire to deepen the relationship, like in all the other dimensions, spiritual, emotional, social, intellectual, but like they like that hot start. And so I call them, they're, they're kind of men that are there. They seem to always be on the hunt for the next vagina. Interesting. And so they're in a lot of relationships and they'll speak passionately about someone, but it's not going to last. They, once it starts to get difficult or inconvenient or uncomfortable, and this would be, this would be a avoidant attachment yeah. an anxious avoidant attachment, then they withdraw and then they, they look for, and these are a lot of these men are men who have resource, you know, they, um, they have a lot of variety in their life they can cultivate. If they're not careful, if they're not grounded, they'll just kind of go with the next wind that's blowing toward them. And they can, they can get addicted to new relationship energy. I think, yeah. I think women can also be addicted to new relationship energy. And then, but the thought of really like giving themselves to a man in a relationship, opening fully to that person is terrifying. And then they'll, they'll shut it down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I read a book uh, called How to Not Die Alone by Logan Uri. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, it was, I'll be honest, it was triggering the title. I was like, what a 
stupid. I remember thinking that's a terrible title. It's a great, title. but it is a great title. And yeah. I remember reading that book and thinking to myself, I needed to rearrange what I thought I wanted and needed and what was important and what really mattered. Like what really matters in a relationship? And when I kind of reorganized that in my own heart and in my own soul, you know, it wasn't too long after that, actually from that, from the reading of that book, the next three or four girlfriends ish that I had, it, it was a whole, it was a higher level. It was like a way better group of women. You know, they were more emotionally mature. They were, had good careers or they, they're just, they were just better put together, so to speak. More substantive. Yeah. And I, you know, they were all great. I had great experiences when I was single. It was a very fun time, but I just remember when I read that book, it changed me so profoundly that all of a sudden it was like, I went up a notch and, and the people that I were, that I was interacting with were just better people until finally then, I, you know, I met Jessica and I just was thinking, wow, like this it's people say, how do you know, you know, how do you know when you meet some, all I can say is I just knew I was like, this is it. Like, yeah. this is my person that you knew. And then it was validated as the days went on. Right. Cause the truth is we don't, we can't just know. Like the truth is like each day brings us a new opportunity to know that this person is a safe attachment. Yes. And every interaction that was what was, we, you know, we took a road trip together. We, did a lot of different things where we would, where the buttons could be pushed, you know, road trips and this and that and frustrations and heat and hot yeah. and this and that. And I remember at every stage, just, just yeah. going right through it. And I thought, man, it was like every time I would come home from a date, you know, I'd drop her off and I'd come home and I would just reflect. And I thought, man, like, I just want to go there again you know i want to do this again and then the next day i want to do this again and i'll be honest in the beginning i was just like waiting i'm like okay i'm just waiting for some shit to hit the fan right and it just continued to not yeah hit the fan yeah and it's wonderful yeah you weren't controlling it it, it happened and, yeah. it, and it continues to happen now and relationships are always going to ask for more deepening intimacy and so you know every relationship we're in is going to, is going to keep evolving. And we know somehow there will be suffering, but like, but it's good. Be in it. Enjoy yeah. it day, day to day. Mindfulness, be in the now with your relationship and enjoy what is yeah. or deal with what isn't good. But if we get too far in the future or too stuck in the past, that's when, that's when we can get wrapped around the axle. Yeah. Uh, okay. Two questions. One, a good book for uh, a couple to read. If a couple, a married couple, maybe they're you know, going through some struggles or maybe they're just stagnant or whatever. Like, is there a book that you recommend or know about? There's a few. Yeah. There's a, there's a group of books that I think are essential. One would be love sense by Susan Johnson, S E N S E love sense, Susan Johnson, um, getting the love you want by, um, Harville Hendricks is a really good one. Um, and then, uh, Ooh, seven principles for making marriage work. Ooh, John Gottman, Gottman. That's a great. Now one. that's a terrifying book, right? You <laughs> yeah. got to read that one with a grain of salt because Gottman will tell you that if hey, if these things aren't happening, you're not going to stay married. And <laughs> and um, 
<laughs> there's some there's some real honest research in that. So, you know, but the the research in that book is those ingredients are, you know, what what really are happening in a safe, healthy attachment. So I'd say those those three, you can't go wrong. Yeah. I remember the book Hold Me Tight was also by Hold Sue. Hold Me Tight, Sue that's Johnson. another great one. Yeah. Hold, Hold Me Tight deals with specific kind of conflict patterns that we get into. Whereas love sense goes into the roots, more of like attachment based, you know, but the bottom line, if your partner that you're with feels safe to you, if you feel that, if you feel that deep sense that they have my back, yeah, good. Everything yeah. else is just, you know, different personalities and different likes and dislikes. But if you lose that, that sense of like attachment, yeah, you know, like if your partner seems unsafe, that's where you got to go to work. Yeah. I often yeah. tell people like, who, who do you like who you are when you're with this person? Yeah. That's you know, a good way like it. It, it, not only that, but it's, it's, I remember I went on some dates and I remember feeling anxious with certain people or they made me feel just uneasy. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember thinking, Nope, yeah, yep. I'm just not gonna do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a situational, you know, anxious attachment. Just because your attachment is anxious or avoidant, it doesn't mean you're wrong. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's what preserves, it's what preserved your life, you know? Yeah. So you got to listen to it, but then you may have to work on it. Yeah. You know, so we're always, always working on it. Okay. Final question. Go. go what do you big. think about all the UFOs and I all knew, the stuff? I knew it. I knew, <laughs> I knew there's been, there's been so much news about all this stuff. And I've been thinking a lot about it fun it's fun to think about it is fun um all i know is like somebody has made something that goes really fast and we don't know how it does it right as far as who it is or how we got there i do not know right i'm not i'm not uh i'm not anti-alien I, I believe there absolutely could be but i also think like humans are freaking aliens and we're capable of a lot of shit so yeah well, that's, I think even the, the common, the, there's two common answers. One is it's f human made, just secretive high level technology. That's secret. There's that from us or another country, or it's some out of this world or other world. I'll say this too. The, the whistleblowers that are coming out and talking about this, they are, they of all appearances from everything I know about micro expressions, whether or not you can tell someone's being honest or not, like they are, they did believe what they're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. As I say, I, I watched one the other day and I thought that it's either a, that guy is like, this is true or he truly, truly believes it for sure. Yeah. Like it seems legit. It very much seems to me like they're, they very much are believing what they are saying and they're ready to say it. And it's ruffling a lot of feathers, so. yeah. but I truly don't know. I want, I want to believe it. It's like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He, he is an astrophysicist, I think, I think so. but he, he's like, yeah, I mean the size the of the TV universe, star. like most likely like the, even if it's like, well, it's rare one in a billion. Well, even at one in a billion means that there's probably millions then in the universe, yeah. you yeah. know, that billions and billions and billions of galaxies. Like that's just. It's unfathomable. Right. I, I like, and of course my big funny thing is just because of my journey religiously, I'm like, how are the Christians going to explain that one? Right. You know, when they said, yeah, well, we never heard of 
we have a whole nother system of our religious beliefs. Right. Are we going to try to save them then? Right. I'd still, I'd still identify myself as a Christian. I don't, I don't really, I'll say I, I practice Christian spirituality, but, but it, it, there was I a, act like a Christian. There was a time I try to, there was a time <laughs> where I thought, Oh, aliens would just blow up the Bible, but no, like, no, we just know what we know. There's right. nothing about the scriptures that says this is all there is. Yeah. You know, like God is God. God does whatever God wants and doesn't have to tell us. Right. But it, but it might really get a kick out of watching us find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what else what else has gone on out there and so if I were God, I'd be loving this. Yeah, I heard one one Christian said this and I thought it was a pretty interesting answer. He said that, well, maybe maybe just Jesus is, was the earth story. And then on another planet, God sent somebody else Could be, or there's you know. another, or there's another, in other words, God's God of, of this space. And there's a, another God of another space. I thought, Hmm. Well, okay. Well, that's C. interesting. C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis wrote the space trilogy, which is that's exa right. exactly about, you know, what if God created life on other planets? It's an amazing read. Yeah. I've, I've thought about reading it again, but it's pretty trippy. Yeah. Like, I don't know what CS was smoking, but yeah. he wrote some amazing stuff, but he, he was on ayahuasca. He entertained the idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it, man. No, we are not alone. No. So, no. and out there listening, you are not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Graham, it's good to have you back on the podcast. Dude, it's been great to reconnect. Yeah. And, uh, so everybody, if you're in Kansas city and you need a good, uh, counseling practice, how many counselors do you have now? Uh, six, including myself. Okay. There's six of you and it's resonate <coughs> resonate relationship clinic. You can go to resonate clinic.com. Okay. See our website. Awesome. Yeah, well, I appreciate great, great you. group of folks. I have an, I have an awesome team that I love. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Love you. Enjoy yeah. the time. I love you too, brother. Thanks for being, thanks for listening. Peace. All right. Peace out.